Okay, if you would please turn to the book of First Peter. I'll be reading First Peter chapter three, verses one through six. First Peter three, one through six. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, And do not fear anything that is frightening. Father, give us, I beg of you, ears to hear what the Holy Spirit says to the church in Holy Scripture. Open the eyes of our hearts by the power of the Gospel through the work of the Holy Spirit in your people. In Jesus' name, amen. This text is, at its core, about holy women trusting in God evidenced in their gentle, quiet spirit and submission, if they're married to their husband, if they're not also in their femininity. As we come to chapter 3, it is not as if, for the last six months we've seen in Peter, talk about deep theology of God. Election, choosing, new birth, regeneration, the work of the Holy Spirit, hope in God. He made you a a priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. And Wow. Okay, now we're coming to chapter 3 and we kind of left that God stuff and we're going to this practical how you do life. That's not what He's doing. This has to do women who are married right now, it has to do with your walk with Christ. Now, if you're awake, (laughs) you know that this issue that Peter brings up in the church is a heated issue. Many churches... Well, when they're going to hire a new pastor, this is one of the main things that will come up. 
I want to know where you stand and how you read this text and many like it. And because of that, here's my plan. This week, I intend to focus on these six verses. What does this text say? That's my mingle. Then next week, we'll come back and I intend to broaden that out to say, Peter didn't say this in a vacuum. The Bible's pretty large compared to this one little letter. And we say, what's this biblical theology of men, women, in marriage? And then the third week I'll come back again and we'll wrestle with the tension that is within the church over this issue and talk about more practical stuff. What does that mean? Is there such a thing as masculinity and femininity? Etc. So that, that's the plan. So this morning, let's go to the text. Look at the first word, depending on which translation you have. The word in the ESV, likewise. Okay. That represents one Greek word, homoios. What, what that means is likewise is it's a connecting word. If you remember back in chapter 2, verse 13, he began, believers, be in submission, essentially to all kinds of human structures and in institutions. Okay, and now he goes, the, specifically the first one, submit to civil government authority. Then secondly, submit if you're a slave to your slave master or an employee to your employer. Authority, submission. And then he kind of went deeper there and kind of, in a sense, got, you would feel he got off the flow, talking about the atonement of Christ, which he didn't, but to bring you back, in other words, likewise means, okay, new Subject about submission, now here in this context, wives to your husbands. And then when he goes to verse 7, when he addresses the husbands, he says it again. Likewise, meaning, okay, new unit of thought, husbands, this is how you do. Then after that, finally, all of you. So you get the flow, you get these units of thought. That's what likewise means, new unit of thought. And here it is. Wives... Be subject or submissive to your own husbands. Now, that word, be subject or be submissive, it is the word hupotasso. It's the same word we've seen. Be submissive to civil authority. Employees to an employer. Be submissive because they have authority over you. And here, let me just give you a taste how else this word is used in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, the Apostle Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Titus chapter 2, verse 5, Wives are to be submissive to their own husbands in order that the word of God may not be reviled. This word, submit, it means in its context, because it's addressed to wives, it's not addressed to husbands. Then tell us husbands, make your wife submit. It says wives submit, so it means this willing submission to 
the authority or leadership that is over her in the context of marriage. And then, as you see in the text, he uses Sarah from the book of Genesis, Abraham's wife, he uses Sarah as an example of submission, saying, verse 5, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed. Abraham calling him Lord. And so, submission in Peter's mind here, he uses another term to define it. The word obedience. Submission, it is the word hupotasso, and then he uses the word obedience, hupokuo. Now, it's 2010. Come on. The Enlightenment happened three, four hundred years ago, and we are in this post-Christian, post-modern America now. There's a culture out there, and there's a culture that always seeps into the church, and therefore there are many within the church and within, quote-unquote, the evangelical church world who downplay, and may I say even change, the plain meaning of texts like these. Because they cannot believe that in this modern, politically correct world that a husband would actually have the obligation of a role in the marriage that a wife does not have. Total equality, and I love the word equality, and you will see over these next few weeks, Men and women are absolutely equal before God. But by equality, when you hear that word, depending on who it's coming from, it may mean, and this is not what it really means, but this is what many in the culture mean. They mean sameness. My kid, I am no more superior. I am not more equal before God I am not more valuable before God than my children. But we are not the same. We have differing roles in that context. But the wisdom of this world has led to stupidity. Period. What I mean. The wisdom of the world in the mainstream media in the universities and those who claim to be wise. This is where you hear it. You don't hear it with truck drivers. You don't hear it with people doing life. You hear it with those who, who read a lot of books and are influenced by the professors that there's no difference between men and women. I mean, plumbing, yeah, that's different. We all see that, which nowadays you can even change, I guess. But we're talking about the non-material. No difference between men and women, but anybody who lives with men and women and has not been indoctrinated with craziness, knows we are, in general, very different. But the stupidity of the world has led to this fundamental teaching. No. It's all culturally produced. We have these ideas of what a man is, what a woman is, what a boy is, a girl is. And so we give boys trucks, we give girls dolls, and see, we create this. All we've got to do is change it. If you've ever been a parent... Long enough, you know. It's just not true. It, it's so rampant that you may be a person who's, a, who's on the left. 
and president of one of our elite universities, Harvard College. And you might suggest one day, huh, I wonder why it is 94% in graduate school, in mathematics, or in some of these hard sciences, happen to be men and not women. And you suggest, maybe we should study and see if there's a difference between men and women that leads to that. You end up essentially getting fired. Because you even suggest we might want to study the issue. Which happened to, what's his name, Larry Summers? He now works in President Obama's administration. So, anyway, you will get, now within the church, many who will argue what we just read here and say, well, submission here, it it means thoughtful. It means considerate. You know, and so, therefore, I mean, as a wife submits to the husband, the husband ought to also be thoughtful or submit to the wife. That's really what it means. But the problem with that is that this word, hupotasso, always implies a relationship of submission to an authority. For instance, Jesus is said to have been gone back from Jerusalem, 13 years old, and to have been, or 12 years old, and be submissive to his parents. You can't turn that around. They were the parents. He was the underage child, and he was in submission to the authority over him. Demons are said to be in submission to the disciples. Citizens are said in the New Testament to be in submission, hupotasso, to the governing authorities. The universe is said to be in submission to Christ. Christ is not in submission to the universe. The unseen powers are being are being subjected to Christ. In the New Testament, church members are in submission to the plurality of leadership called the elders in the local church. Servants, as we have seen, are in submission to the masters or employee, to employer. Believers are said to be in submission to God. That's never turned around. And wives are said to be subject to their own authority, or husbands in the context of that marriage. They're never flipped. Now, I just want to briefly go to one other text this morning. We'll go to a lot more next week, but just briefly, because for years as a Christian, I mean, I would hear, just said, when you would read a text like Ephesians, we're going to turn Ephesians 5 for a moment. Well, essentially here is the bottom line. It doesn't really mean what Paul said because he said right before that, submit to one another. So everyone's supposed to submit to everyone else within the church. And a husband's supposed to submit to the wife and a wife to the husband. Therefore, therefore what? What Paul just said doesn't make any, doesn't mean what it says. Okay. So let's read chapter 5, Ephesians. Paul writes, starting with verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself, its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, But there are evangelical scholars who negate everything he just said there by saying, no, 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 look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. They say, you see, it's mutual. Submission is mutual. Even in marriage. Verse 21, evidently, overpowers everything Paul just said in verses 22 to 24. Now, you either got to think Paul's not too bright, or I want to look at the context and say, what are you doing, Paul? And I think it's clear in context. 21, submitting to one another. And you follow the context. He says, here you go. For example, <laughs> in the church... Wives to your husbands. Children to your mom, a woman. And your dad, your parents. And then the next, slaves to your slave owner who's sitting across from you at church. Okay? You're in relationships. He's saying, submit to one another means within the context, even of the church, you will find differing roles and hats you will play. Respect those. And when you're in one of submission, where there's an authority over you, submit. That's what he means by submitting to one another as you find yourself in differing roles within the church. For instance, wife to husband, children to parents, Slaves to masters. That's the flow of Ephesians right there with Paul. Don't you think about it. So you, got, you can have one man. Is this guy in authority or is he in submission? Depends. He, he, he wears more than one hat. He might be not an elder in a church, and so he's in submission under the elders of the church. He's in submission under the civil authorities. And he's in authority in his home. Okay? That man, he may be an elder in the local church. And he may be a slave. And the slave master's part of the church community. Well, in his job as a slave, he's in submission to him. In his job as an elder, the, the master would be in submission. Wives, women, she's an authority. It's right there in Ephesians. Children, be in submission to your parents. She's an authority over her minor kids. But she's in submission in the context of her marriage. Submission to authority has to do with roles. Not with innate, I'm better, or I'm more equal, or it's unequal. It has to do with roles. Let me just give you an example. Okay. Is Jesus less than Joseph and Mary when it's said that He is in submission to them? No, thank you. Is Jesus in His eternal being and personhood less than the Father, though He is the begotten eternally? No. Christians, we have seen in 1 Peter, these people whom God has plucked out, Turn the light on. Put them into Christ. Know the secrets of the universe are said to be in submission to governing authorities, many of whom are unbelievers. Does that mean God looks at Nero, this wicked, wicked man, as superior, innately more valuable than those children, his sheep? Of course not. It has to do with roles. And therefore, wives being submissive to their husbands should 
never imply they are inferior spiritually or in their personhood. He makes it really clear in verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 3. He's going to say, Husbands, your wife, whom you have responsibility for, you have an authority over, you're to lead her. She's a joint heir. She's an equal heir with you in Christ as a believer. Okay. Everybody is equal in God's eyes, made in His image. But there are differing roles. The President of the United States is not more valuable than you are. But he has an authority, ultimately, that you don't. Elders in a church doesn't mean they're more spiritual necessarily than you are. doesn't mean they're better than you are. But they have a role and a burden. Police on the street. It doesn't mean, oh, that guy's superior to me because he can boss me around. Yeah, he can boss you around and he has a role. But it doesn't speak to the essence of your value. There's a role which is being played. And so also, the way God created it in marriage, where the man is to lead his wife. The wife is to come joyfully in her submission to that leadership. So, go back there, 1 Peter 3. Get out of Ephesians, go back to 1 Peter 3 now. Look at the purpose clause. Start back at beginning of verse 1. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands. Now here's the purpose clause. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Okay, notice a couple things. He says, wives, be in submission to your own husbands even if some did not obey the word. Okay, that even if means there are, he's speaking to the church in all these numbers of cities and provinces, so large general letter and epistle to the Christian community throughout the known Christian world at the time. And it's clear there are people who have been converted to Christ, women who have been converted to Christ, and they're married, and some of them have husbands who are unsaved. They are not Christians. They're unbelievers. And many of them have husbands who also are believers. That's what's assumed here. Even if some don't, means the command goes to both. The command is not just to women with an unbelieving husband or those who don't believe. It is to both. And now even if, and he says, some do not obey the word. See, throughout Peter, we've seen this. To those that are disobedient to the Word, to that they were also appointed. We've, three times, Peter's clear when he uses this clause, disobedient or don't obey the Word, he doesn't mean the Christian experience. 
of Christians who come to Christ and we fail and we got to repent. He doesn't mean that. It's, that's what he, this is the way he says they are outside of Christ. They are not believers. They haven't come to faith. So he's talking about those women who have husbands who are unconverted to Christ. And then his purpose clause says, be, even for you, be in that context of that relationship in marriage, submissive in order that for the purpose that that unbeliever husband may be won by the conduct of their wives. The goal is to win the unbelieving husband. Not by nagging and preaching without a word. Now look, the point is, he's already heard the word. You don't get closer relationships in life than the marriage, okay? So, this is not, we're not talking about just doing deeds and he never preached the gospel. He's heard it. It's enough now. Now, live it. And live it. And live it. And we, don't, we know, don't we, that badgering, especially in close relationships, almost by definition tends to re Pell. Okay. That's, and Peter's just giving wisdom here, ladies. Then in verse 2, look at verse, he goes on and he shows the way that the conduct of the wife, that is, not with words, but how then your conduct would win him. How? By means of him seeing your respectful and pure conduct. Now, he says, Here's the way. Not to keep just blasting with your mouth. Do your role. Be submissive. Live. And what do you see? Purity. It's His word. Chastity. The word used different ways. Sexually pure. Pure. There's, there's something that's clean about the thought process of this Woman, she's modest, and he sees it. Now, if you have the ESV like I do, it's hard to see what I think he's really saying. King James nails it. I think the new King James nails it. He's saying, so that, this is how he gets one, he will see how you live, your behavior, which is pure, it flows out of your fear. Not fear of him, the husband, but as Peter has been using this term, fear vertically of God. That is saving faith. That that looks to God for everything. Out of that vertical walk of fearing God flows this pure, chaste behavior. And together, that behavior and your fear of God, we can't see it. You can't break it up. You can't cut it up in science lab. But he's saying, women, it can be seen. It can be seen in your behavior which flows out of your walk of faith in Christ. Or he's going to say later, those who hope in God. It speaks loudly. Then, notice verses 3 and 4. 
He gets specific. He's going to unfold. He's not done. He says, let me unfold this behavior, this context, where it's coming from, this heart disposition. It's not merely an external behavior at all. There's something going on in the heart that works itself out. He does it this way. In verse 3, not this. Verse 4, but this, women. Start with verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is precious. So, first, not, not this merely external adorning. Okay, this is a female thing. Okay. And we males, depending on how you do it, like it. And Peter is not here forbidding it. He is saying, as much as you spend before the mirror in the bathroom, compare what you spend before the mirror of the Word about your inner disposition and heart. Make that much more attractive than you do with the external. Cultivate the true inner quality. Now, let me just be clear because there's been crazy teaching over the years in the church world. It is crystal clear you cannot get out of this that Peter is forbidding combing your hair. Please, ladies, comb your hair. Or... <laughs> Braid it. He's not forbidding wearing jewelry. And don't use that against me, my daughter. <coughs> You're only 13. He's not forbidding that here. Because literally in the original, in the Greek, this is how he says it. Don't let it be your external clothing adorning like braiding hair, putting on gold, and clothing yourself with garments. If you're going to forbid the first two, then he's saying walk around naked. Because he's just saying wearing clothes. We assume that. We assume you put gold on, maybe. We assume you braid your hair and you comb your hair. We assume that. He's assuming that. He's just saying don't let that be your emphasis over what's going on in your heart. So not the external he's talking about but the internal, quote, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. Not a show, but the essence of who you are, Christian women. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, there's, there's no word there in Greek, so we, we, quality, beauty, the imperishable beauty of a gentle, and a quiet spirit. He says this is imperishable. It's eternal. 
This is what really counts to the temporal, external way you women pretty up. Know it. Keep it in balance. With what? What do you clothe with? A gentle and quiet spirit. By spirit, he means who you are, your guts. He means your inner disposition, the person inside that beautiful body. She is gentle. She's not pushy. She's not insistent constantly on her own rights. No. The type. Well, we're gonna, let me just stop. We're gonna get. Here's the thing. Let me make a statement. I'm gonna try to show it next week. Roles in marriage are not created by the fall of man. They were instituted before the fall, and they are totally wrecked by the fall of man in sin. Okay, we're broken. All of us are broken. They're not created by it, but they've been wrecked by it. And he's saying, women, one way your sin will wreck it is to not be gentle, to not be feminine, to be pushy, to usurp authority. Now, think about this. Think, some of these women, just like today, have husbands who are unbelievers. And Peter says to him, here, here's the woman. This woman's a believer. She by God's grace, has come in to the saving knowledge of the, of the secret of the universe. Christ, my Savior. And yet, in the context of marriage, when an unbeliever who's blinded to it, she can be gentle. She doesn't, she's not arrogant. She says, now look how stupid you are. And look at me. There's a gentle disposition and quietness about her. She exudes it. People look at her and say, what a wise, competent person. She, I like being around that person. Gentle. And she has a, quote, quiet spirit. That does not mean she doesn't speak. It's not, this word is used a number of times in the New Testament. Live your life in all quietness. When Paul's talking about, don't be busybodies. You know, don't be obnoxious. What he is saying here, don't have a disposition like, like a hurricane, like a tornado everywhere you go. That's what he's saying. There's a quietness. Yes, she speaks her mind. She's competent. She's probably smarter than her husband. And wiser. Yes. But he's talking about who you are. The disposition in which you carry that in the way God made you. He didn't make you a man. He made you a woman. And it's precious. Carry it. So note. He's saying, women, this competent, wise, feminine, gentle, but powerful way of dealing with your husband in submission 
is, quote, very valuable to God. He, he, he is using a play on words. All the gold jewelry, all the really expensive and pretty dresses or clothing and garments, whatever the age you live in, don't let that... He said, this is what is really valuable. So, so far we've seen verses 1 to 4. In verses 1 to 2, here it is, repeated. The general wives, be submissive to your own husbands and those you have unbelievers so that you will be a means of winning them to Christ. And then in verses 3 and 4, he unfolds the heart of what he means. And now, 5 and 6. Five, verses 5 and 6 come in as the argument for submission. And he appeals to holy women in the Old Testament, in general, and then he gives Sarah as a specific example, and then he applies it to you women here today. Start with verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So he says, for, here's the argument, this is how. What's how? What we just saw in verses 1 to 4. This beautiful spirit. This disposition of a gentle and quietness, the way you carry yourself. He says, this is how the holy women, and really key phrase, who hoped in God. That deserves a whole sermon. It may be half of a sermon, but not today. We're going to come back to that. But these holy women, here's his point though, who hoped in God. Uh, I, let, me, let, me, let me give a whole sermon in one minute. Just make this clear. The context of what he's talking about are sinful human beings who happen to be female, who happen to be married at this point. And they've come to Christ. This is the hope he's talking about. They have embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ who was the substitutionary sacrifice for their sin. He took away their eternal punishment. He has come to live in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. They are being saved forever. And they live by hope in God which is the key to everything He says to women here. We'll come back to that. Hope in God. And then he says, they also in the Old Testament, these women also, like he's just said to the church in the first century, they also dressed or adorned themselves. With what? With this inner quality. How'd they do it? By submitting to their own husbands. And then in verse 6, he gives Sarah as a specific, concrete example of many of these women in the Old Testament. As 
Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, the word Lord there, this, all it means is a term of respect for the authority over her. That, that's what he's saying. Look, look, if the President of the United States walked in, respect that role of authority, okay? And don't call him Barack. Call him Mr. President. That's what she said. That, this is what this gives her. It's talking about an inner disposition, and that's the way it would have been there. And it may be different in different time periods and cultures, okay? My wife will not call me Lord. That's not the point. Or, sir. Okay, got it. So, so, but, Peter appeals to what's going on in Genesis. And you look in Genesis and there's nowhere, nowhere in Genesis where it's stated, she says, hey, uh, Lord. <laughs> but there was one time that's in her mouth and it's essentially she's speaking to herself and to God. My Lord Abraham. She knows her role. Is what he's saying. It says, Abraham, Sarah, obeyed. It wasn't forced upon her. It was her disposition. So this is how the women and Sarah adorn themselves with these inner qualities so that, for instance, she obeyed. Submission involves obedience to the role of leadership in this context. Okay. All right. But, there are, as I began with, many attempts within the church world to avoid the conclusion that I think is clear here. That Christian wives are to imitate Sarah's submission. Now, let me introduce to you two terms that are out there in the present day church world. I think they're important terms, so let me introduce them to you. One is egalitarianism. The other is complementarianism. An egalitarian, from the word equal, at its core, there's a position within the church. You go to the websites, I can lead you to different websites and you'll find these positions. Or lead you to different books, you'll find these positions. An egalitarian is a Christian person who does not believe that the Bible actually and for today is teaching that there are distinct roles for men as opposed to women and distinct roles for women in there being a woman as, that are not for men. Everything is equal, sameness, we should have no barriers to that only go to individual by individual to their giftings. Okay? That's egalitarianism or another term would be evangelical feminism. I'm not one of those. I'm a complementarian which at the core believe when it comes to men and to women they are absolutely equal in their value and in their personhood before God. But they are different in their nature and in roles that God has assigned. 
Men and women in their femininity, and we don't mean merely physical plumbing, in their femininity and men in their masculinity, strengths and weaknesses in femininity, strengths and weaknesses in masculinity, and they complement one another. Thus the term complementarian. Okay? So, having said that, let me just give you, we looked at verses 1 to 6 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. So, give you a feel of how egalitarians may deal with stuff that we're reading in 1 Peter. For instance, Gilbert Belizakian, in his book Beyond Sex Roles, writes, quote, The use of Sarah as an example of obedience shows that Peter was not devoid of a sense of humor. In Genesis, Abraham is shown as obeying Sarah as Sarah obeyed Abraham. So he's referring to, you remember... His wife, Sarah, finally goes, Abraham, Abraham, go in, I can't have babies, so go to my slave, Hagar, and have a baby by Hagar. And then Abraham did it. See, Abraham submitted to the authority of Sarah. Okay, that's what he's saying. Uh, Another quote by Gilbert Belizakian, denying that Sarah really is a model for women today. Writes, the point of Peter's references to Sarah is that wives in the New Covenant can learn from their spiritual ancestress, Sarah, who lived in the dark side of the Old Covenant compromise when she had to obey her husband. Sarah obeyed Abraham, but Christian wives are never told to obey their husbands. Neither here in 1 Peter 3, 6, nor anywhere else in the Bible. End quote. Okay, all you can do. I'm, you've got to be... I'm reading 1 Peter 1 and 6, and it, it's, that seems to be exactly his point. Exactly what he, what he says in the context. Be like Sarah, who was submissive to Abraham in that she obeyed. That's what I get out of it. Okay, we can deal whether we like it or not, or how we understand it, or not, but for, that's what I think he's saying. And just one more quote from another egalitarian or evangelical feminist, Patricia Gundry writes, The point is, Sarah and Abraham responded in the same way to each other. Abraham did what Sarah requested, and she did the same for him. Now, I find that type of reading into the Bible, I say that on purpose, I think it's eisegesis and not exegesis. That means reading what you already think, what you already believe, how you're already indoctrinated by your culture into the text that came long before you are ever born. And you're finding stuff in there that's not there. I find that not only just wrong, but very Dangerous for a couple reasons. Not merely because it's wrong. Not merely because God has something to say about the difference between men and women in roles. But this issue, I have, have I noticed over at least the last ten years in thinking about it, 
This is the canary in the mine. What that mean? Okay, you go into mines, right? And I, evidently they used to use canaries. And that canary drops dead. You know what, guys? We've got to get out of here pretty quick. Because the canary's going to die before the, the, the humans die. But it's going to tell you that oxygen's gone or whatever. You've got to get out of here. Once you start doing this stuff to text that you, even, that you still claim, you're still at the point you claim in the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture, so what once you start butchering it like this? It is only a matter of a couple years Five years, 20 years, 25. Not just the biblical doctrine of men and women, but the doctrine of Christ's atonement and everything else will fall in the history of the church. It is a serious issue. Okay, but let me say that. Here he is. I just read you quotes. When you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-6, to does it come off as a joke to you? Does it seem humorous? Is that what he... This is why we're so desperate, and you hear me pray this way often. We're desperate for the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, in the life of our hearts. Why? Not to tell you what Scripture says. Grammar and syntax and context and thinking does that. It's there. It's been delivered. But so that He would constantly break our hearts to receive that revelation that's on the text of Scripture. Because to the extent we're in a position, I don't want this conclusion. It can be over anything. And this is why you got people that still do church and they don't even believe in the atonement of Christ. How do you think that happens? Well, that's how it happens. We need, God help my heart. Let me believe and see and lighten the eyes of my heart to the revelation of Scripture that has been delivered all along. It's right there. And this just doesn't read like a joke. Or to say that Abraham obeyed Sarah and therefore there are no leadership roles in marriage, which is the point of these quotes, (laughs) it's on the verge of irrationality to me. You go to Genesis The whole point, I think, is the opposite in Genesis. God comes to Abraham and says, what your wife Sarah says to do, do it. Conclusions in the egalitarian draws is, you see, it's mutual submission. No leadership roles. The whole point is, leadership role. Abraham is not going to do this unless God intervenes. He's not going to kick his son out of the house and send him away. He loves his son Ishmael. God knows who to go to, the leader. And he says, Abraham, this is what's implied. You're the leader. So when she says this, stamp it. Okay. It's your decision. That's the point. To get out of that, that therefore there are no leadership in submissive roles within marriage, it's on the verge of craziness. Now, what you, one thing you learn about that, men, is any good leader from President of the United States, he doesn't have to pay for it. The government, we pay for it. Hire counselors. Smart thing. People whom you have authority over, listen to them. They're smarter than you. They're wiser than you in all kinds of areas if you're the President of the United States. Or if you're a house painter. The guy working for you might have a good idea. Listen! If you're a husband, 
Your wife is so much smarter in areas, so much wiser, so much in tune with life in areas that you may not be. Good authority says, listen to the counsel. But the buck will stop with you. And the responsibility will be with you. Whether you're the president, whether you're the guy that messes up the house, or whether you're the husband. Peter says in our text, act like Sarah who obeyed. Gilbert Belizekian says, don't follow Sarah in obedience because she lived in the dark side of the old covenant. Which one are you going to go with? That kind of egalitarian reading of Scripture, it just ends up denying what the text seems to plainly say. Peter says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. Belizekian says, the motive of the wife has, this is a direct quote, nothing in common with submission defined as obedience to authority. Page 190 of his book. Peter says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. Belizekian says, here's his main emphasis, well, husbands are also to be submissive to the wives. Peter says, Sarah obeyed Abraham. Belizekian makes it his main emphasis to show that Abraham also obeyed Sarah. Peter says, follow Sarah who obeyed. Belizekian says, nowhere does he tell wives to obey. It's humor. It's a joke. We, as the church, on every issue, we must watch very carefully not to imbibe the philosophical and cultural worldview in which we live and cause that to trump Scripture. I don't know who remembers this, but it must be seven, eight years ago, six, I don't know. I remember when the largest Protestant denomination in America, the Southern Baptist Convention. They got together for their annual meeting and they came out with another clarifying, clear statement on the roles of men and women in marriage. And what the mainstream, and they got it right, I think, and what the mainstream media did with that, who are these kooks? That's the culture we live in. It's Totally different than 60 years ago. Totally. Does that mean the Bible changes? It's a question we've got to always ask ourselves over every issue. And finally, at the end of verse 6, Peter now directly applies it to wives. Then and now. Quote, And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So he says, if, if this, then it proves this about you, your true child of Sarah. The proof of being true daughters. I think what he, this is what I think it means. Children of Abraham, two daughters, children of faith. This is how you're working your faith out. Married woman. The proof of being true daughters of Sarah is if 
you exhibit the submission Sarah did. If you do good, isn't that what it means in the context? If you do good, what do you mean? Well, just good. He means the good he just said. In following Sarah with a submissive, inward, glorious, precious, inward disposition that God loves. And if you do not fear anything that is frightening. Why? Why? Because that type of fear, horizontally down here, he's saying, this doesn't come out of a fear of your husband. And there might be a lot to fear with some abusive, sinful husbands. But this is not what he's saying. He said, this is a type of fear that flows out of faith and trust in God. It flows out of those who hope in God. It flows out of a gentle and a quiet spirit and disposition. You can trust Him. Christ purchased all the promises of God. He, he purchased the ability and the work of the Spirit in your life to the commands of God like this. He's saying, wives... Be those who hope in God, His promises, His commands, and don't fear anything but displeasing your Savior. Fight the anxiety that would come and say, well, if that text is true, then God does not have my best interest at heart. Fight the lie that may say that in your head and trust God. And just one last thing. Notice, this submission does not mean submit out of fear of your husband here. No. Like Sarah, do it. It's an inward quiet disposition. And, 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 and you're not driven by fear of these terrifying things down here. You do it because you're coming from faith in Christ. And this submission is free. She does it. It's not coerced. And I'll say it again. I can't find anywhere in the Bible, husbands, where it says it's your job ultimately to manipulate your wife and make her submit to you. Amen. You can't do it. She submits freely, freely from her hope and her relationship in God. He's saying, women, and so I say to you, be those. As much time you spend in the bathroom, good. Spend much more before the mirror of the Word. Spend much more time working on you, your relationship with God, the inward disposition of your heart, which is beautiful and precious in God's sight. Let it be, quote, the adorning of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very Precious. Let's pray. Father, help. Father, do. Father, act by the power of Your Spirit in the heart of every woman and young woman in here. And over the weeks we'll see in every man in our masculinity, help us
come more in line with Your Word by the power of the Spirit that Jesus Christ may be seen more clearly in our femininity, our masculinity, and in our marriage to the glory of His holy name.